put on a stack of 45s, yeah. Dance the night away, we're gonna jive. Yeah. That's the program, baby. Put on a stack of 45s with your splendid bohemians, Bill Mesnick and Rich Buckland, where we present a 45 RPM of note. Uh, in this case, it's going to be a little bit different. We're, we're still dealing with vinyl, as we always do, but this particular release is a little bit different. And we take that particular song, and we kind of deconstruct it, and we shine a light upon it, and we try to demonstrate its import. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, maybe you give it a listen. If you are and haven't heard it in a while, give it another listen, because... There's so much more. It's like reading a book a second time or seeing. Oh yeah, this 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 selection is a little far afield from what we usually do because usually we, you know, we can validate that this 45 had a commercial release. This was an album cut, but you said that it was released as a single in France as a promotion. It was a promotional uh, vinyl release. Sent to DJs. I believe there were some American pressings, but all of them, to my knowledge, had the small hole on the, right. in the spindle. Not the big wide spindle. Not the but big. still, but still spun at forty-five RPM. Still yeah. spun at forty-five, and you could not, of course, put it on a stack uh, of the large spindles that we used back in our right. day on our photographs. Yeah. But well, this is from 1983, Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog After the War by Paul Simon from the album Hearts and Bones. Now, what it does do is it does reflect many of the great 45 RPMs with the larger hole of yes, its time. Yes, absolutely. Because, you bet. And right? that makes it even more special. Exactly, exactly. Because what Mr. Simon does with his incredible imagination and artistry is project the lifestyle of the surrealist artist Rene Magritte and his wife Georgette with their dog listening in their elite hotel room to the recordings <laughs> of it's it's a the imagery just it brings me to tears. The imagery just sur, I surrendered the moment I heard the song, and in the in that the penguins, the, the moon, moon glows, glow. the Orioles, the, the Orioles, and the five seconds. I shall never love another. I shall never love another. And stand by me all the while. And stand by me all the while. You saw me crying in the town. Shut up. 
Well, you know, I I just have to thank you once again. This is your selection. And in order to, I've always, Paul Simon's always been a part of my life. And I already did a Captain Billy for Ryman Simon. But I, I was not familiar with this song. But I went and I downloaded the Audible uh, audio book with Malcolm Gladwell and Paul Simon called Miracle and Wonder. And he speaks about his, his methods and his inspirations and his love for 1950s doo-wop is unbelievable. And I believe that this song is, he's kind of, he is Magritte in this song and he's, his love for these songs, it's a, it's a love letter to to that you know what i didn't realize is that when he listened to um uh, he was given a tape of a south african uh cassette of the boyo boyo boys playing a song called gumboots and he and he immediately thought that it sounded like mr lee by the bobettes mm-hmm. and this kind of set his brain going and he thought this is a natural uh, cohesion of this African music with the music that he grew up with, that he loved. And that started the whole inspiration for Graceland. That's fascinating because he's been critiqued for having uh, taken some of this music and uh, devoted taking credit for it, shall we say, as... Yeah, I mean, he was boycotted by the UN. Yes, yes, and that's kind of... I always felt that was kind of silly. Um, You know, art is the construction of that which you uh, are touched by the most, and to suggest that there was any theft in the artistry is, 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 is ludicrous. And it does all start with the African-American groups. Of course. Uh, It all starts with the Mills Brothers and the Ink Spots. Forget about the early blues players. That's another conversation. But when you're getting into the pop world and you get into uh, uh, the, the magnificence of the Ravens and the Spaniels when he was working with art and growing up as teenagers, when they called themselves Tom and Jerry, this is the music that they were. Yes, that, of course, in the Everleys. I mean, he talks about how he and art would listen to the Everleys and literally watch each other so that they breathed at the same time, that they pronounced the words at the same length, uh, and they stole or borrowed or emulated the Everly's harmonies. But yet, I'm I'm certain so many duos attempted the same uh, practice in order to try to accommodate that sound. And I don't believe that anyone other than Simon and Garfunkel came close to doing that without replicating the Everly Brothers sound and developing their own 
That, right, to, of course, yes. yes. Um, and they, at the age of 15, appeared on American Bandstand, the song Hey Schoolgirl. Hey Schoolgirl, um, yes. And uh, they became instant celebrities in, in their high school. Let's talk a little bit about the wrong, the, the songwriting uh, capacities of, of Paul Simon. Let us be lovers, we'll marry our fortunes together. I've got some real estate here in my bag. So we bought a pack of cigarettes and Mrs. Wagner Pies. And we walked off to look for a is still as vital this is the thing that gladwell talks about that at 80 years old he's still got that creative fire there are very few um artists capable of maintaining that flame into those years um, yeah I know that as John Mellencamp gets up there in years, he's still writing some extraordinary material. Springsteen is still writing some extraordinary material. But Paul Simon's 10 years older. Yeah. He's 10 years older. Well, he, he just says for a long time, he refused to call himself an artist. But he, he his mind turned around when he kind of clicked in this idea that an artist is simply a type of person who likes to make things, who gets a charge out of when you make things, something. And I can certainly relate to that. It, it, it also has to do with the artist's humanity as well. There's a humanity to Paul Simon, which is why I was so affected just a couple of months ago when I turned 70. And how many conversations did you and I have about... Old friends. Old friends. Just yes. the imagery of of how strange it is to be seventy and everything that that goes along with that. The little movie that plays in your head, uh, just thinking about it. And from the moment I had heard the early, to be quite frank with you, the early recordings with art uh and paul did not affect me of course as si sounds of silence did in that first album hello darkness my old friend i've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while i was sleeping and the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Wow, well that was, that was... Everything changed. Including their popish efforts to still remain poppy with We've Got a Groovy Thing Going On, which is still yeah, a great, right. great 
It's a great, great record. Um, but those early recordings, as with the early recordings of, say, Jen, uh, Barry and Dean Torrance, all of these duos, they were very white. Well, you and, know, in high school, Paul Simon was a song plugger for E.B. Marks. Yes, for E.B. Marks, yes. Didn't you have something to do with E.B. Marks? Barry Bergman, who we both are familiar with, Mm-hmm. who I know listens to this program and will probably give me a telephone call after hearing his <laughs> name mentioned. But uh, he um, he and I had a uh, business relationship at one point. He worked for the publishers E.B. Marks. And I remember you'd walk into his office and the big gold record behind his desk was Terry Jack's Seasons in the Sun. That was a biggie. That was a biggie. Uh, a record, by the way, that my wife feels uh, qualifies as the worst song ever written. <laughs> Come on, we had joy, we had fun. We had seasons in the sun. She literally can go on for half an hour on how horrible a song this is. And then he calls me one day to tell me that he has seen the future. I said, well, wait a minute. Bill Mesnick showed me the future in high school with Bruce Springsteen. He says, no, no, I've seen the real future. His name is Meatloaf. All righty then. Okay. Yep. So well, yes. here's something you'll find interesting. Yes. Malcolm Gladwell attributes uh, Paul Simon's ability to meld all these different sounds and cultures from his upbringing in Queens, like you and me. Yes, yes. There's this Queens thing, isn't there? There's a Queens thing. The melting pot is fully f- happening. Yeah, yeah, and we were very fortunate to have grown up there. And well, I was born in the Bronx. We moved to Queens at ten, but it was like coming from the land of the Jews. We wandered into this new land where they built all this housing for the World War II veterans, where they could raise their families and. It was different. They were different cultures. Yeah, I mean, you had to take the 13 bus to the 7 train, and the 7 train into Manhattan. So you were like, you were cut off from Manhattan. Right, right, you know? right. But there have been times that I think you and I maybe even walked across the Queensboro Bridge. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And those trips that we would take back and forth from the Fillmore where we'd have to take the train and then we'd have to take the bus back and then the bus would leave us off here. Yeah, it's a long trip. It's a long trip, you know, but we enjoyed it. There was something about the, uh, I don't think I could ever ride a subway train again without having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) But... um, Well, you know, you had to get into Mecca. Yes, you had to get into Mecca. You had to get in there. But it was beautiful. You had the coin. You can still put the, the, the coin in the slot. Now I wouldn't even went. Now they have the, the card. <laughs> the last time I had to use a card. Oh, I'm not doing this again. The card didn't work. It was expired. That can be uh, exasperating. So that was my last subway experience, I think, about 13 years ago when uh, Vanessa and I took a little journey into uh, to see just how everything had changed. But let's get back for a second to um, Renee and Georgette. I I think it's really interesting. I think it's the song itself is surrealistic, the way the images kind of play off of each other. And so he's 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 channeling 
Rene Magritte, and then he's channeling himself, and he's putting with the duop, and he's putting them together. And um, but this was from Hearts and Bones, which was really a kind of a dead end. Um, and uh, he had reached the end of a certain ability to to create in in the way he had previously. And in fact, Hearts and Bones was originally going to be a reunion album with Artie. Yes. But he ended up erasing all of Artie's uh, vocals. Yes. And and did a, did it as a solo. And so it was really kind of like you know, because they had had that reunion in Central Park which was so big and he was kind of being drawn back into the Simon and Garfunkel orbit because they did the video and they did the the, re- the live record and the tour and but he didn't want to go there. Well, he doesn't see, and he still doesn't want to go there because my understanding is that the last offer was so phenomenal that any sane human being for the amount of concerts that they would have had to have played would have said, yeah, we can tolerate this. But I think they've developed a Neil Young, David Crosby type of relationship. Oh, yeah. I I don't think, I I can't imagine, you know, um, but there's this latest album into the blue light right it's called into the blue light or in the blue light it's called in the blue light and this feature where he redoes georgette and it was georgette it's gorgeous recorded in 2018 and it is in many ways it it evolves yeah it surpasses the original it surpasses the original because the vocal has nuances that the original doesn't have the Entire the orchestration co- is orchestration. gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, it takes on a whole new life for something that you don't think could have been given any more freedom uh, or, or any more expanse. It's just, it was perfect to me the way it was. But then you hear the way it was able to be renewed and reborn. Um what is also fascinating to me is uh, how Paul tells uh, the story of the origin of the song. He was preparing to perform a benefit concert with Joan Baez and her sister Mimi Farina for Bread and Roses. You remember the Bread and Roses concerts? Sure, yes. And uh, he's at Joan's house and... Joan has to take a phone call, and she exits the room. And Paul, Joan has this collection of books, and Paul is just scanning through the books, and he sees the illustrations, a book, the illustrations of Rene Magritte. And he opens up the book, and he looks at these pictures. And if you have not seen, Google Rene Magritte. Take a look at some of this, this work. For anyone with any activity in their imagination, it will... Yeah, you should recognize many of the images. Yeah, yeah, they're beautiful images. He said he saw the picture of he, his wife, and their dog. Yes, the photograph. The photograph, mm-hmm. which, which, is, which is available to on, online. You can see... Any- which apparently he and Carrie Fisher... Uh, uh, imitated when in the music video. Yes, they imitated that in the music video. And he looks at this picture and 
how it's titled. Renee and Georgette McGreed after with their dog after the war, and he goes, "This is a perfect song title." Yes, and that that happened to him many times. But you know, he says the music always precedes the lyrics. Yes, yes, yes. And just the words come from the sound of the music and eventually evolve into coherent thoughts. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. It is interesting. And to to because he's a great lyricist. I think that you can make the case that he has exceeded uh, the expectations of the majority, if not all, songwriters that we grew up with, with the exception, of course, of the Big Bob, the king of of the king of literature and poetry, this poetic literature that is nonstop talk about creating at the age of eighty. Love it. I mean, love it. His, this is, there will never be a mind that is that uh, active and, and that dream driven. But you listen to Simon's work, whether it be Dangling Conversation or I Am, just the early work, yeah. I Am a Rock, um, Hazy Shade of Winter. Time, the translation time, time. into pop records from this poetry. I think the only one who did it better, and I, you can't even say better, differently, was Zimmerman. Yeah, and you know, Roy Halley has a lot to do with that. Yes. yes. The two of them have worked together their entire lives. And when Halley was interviewed, he said, we just love new sounds, new ideas. They were constantly looking for, to surprise the listener. Mm-hmm. And the surprise on Hearts and Bones was not met with any great critical acclaim. But no, it, it's, it's, I listened to that album. It's not. It's not a great record. No, it's not. I don't think it is. But there is that one magical piece that has endured from the moment I heard it the first time and could not get it out of my mind and could not get it out of my heart. Now, when we play the record, which one are we, are we going to play? Both or are we going to play? You know, I think this warrants, given that this is a special episode with the small spindle and it was never released as a 45 RPM designed for radio play, uh, I think it would warrant us to play both versions back to back. Okay, that'll be interesting. Yes, yeah, so you can compare the two and also... I don't think once is enough. <laughs> I just don't think once is enough. And of course, we'll we'll give you some of the penguins, the moon glows, the orioles, and the five satins. Before I go to sleep, I ask uh, my pal uh, Alexa to play a couple of songs, and if I'm having a, and there she goes. <laughs> I mentioned, Thank you, darling. When the wife is away. Alexa's always here. She, <laughs> there's only so much that Alexa can do. There's only so much that she can do. But um, I, when we began talking about this, we began... Um, she's playing Scott McKenzie's like an old-time movie. <laughs> Tell her to shut up. Alexa, stop. Isn't that funny? She just went into that. 
It's creep, creepy. We did we did a show on Scott McKenzie's like an old yes. time movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I have a hard time sleeping, I I made that request, and I I must have, and I I, I would play it fifteen times until I f- fell asleep. Well, you know, the Paul Simon is still trying to. Uh, he's searching. He says for the to get the sound that Scotty Moore got. On Mystery Train, yeah. you know, the slapback. <laughs> oh boy! You know these things stick in your head at an early age, and here you are, eighty years old, and you're still obsessing about it. Well, actually, the first person I heard speak about that um, in detail was was Springsteen, who had who was obsessed with getting that sound slapback sound yep that slapback sound so live, it can't be done because live on stage. it was it was that that room and that equipment you know so and that's what's extraordinary about that whole sun records period and i'm sure that paul simon would be the first to understand the gratification that certain rooms will provide you and how others are uh are ruthless in whatever efforts you are making Yes. Well, uh, Simon built his own studio in his home. Yes. And uh, he's been using that for the last 10 years. As Jeff Lynn did. And Jeff Lynn, I think, has one of the greatest pairs of ears in the world. And in order to get exactly what he wanted after having specifically uh, uh, found the fame and success that ELO provided, once the Wilburys came about, he, he heard everything in the world and could only get it if he built his own studio and was doing it in his under his control. So if you have that power, you know, that's uh that's what the Rolling Stones tried to do for Exile on Main Street, but that didn't seem to come to uh it's a great album, but I don't think it really captured Well, that those conditions were ridiculous. That was that that was like they were they had moved into a tenement. In fact. Yeah, and and the engineers were in, in a trailer in a tra- outside the yes. house. I don't know what they were. I think the drugs were thinking. I don't think that they were thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and the schedule was upside down because yeah. Keith Richards would sleep all day. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great. In fact, I've often thought that the making of that album would make a great movie. Oh yes. Yeah, would make and a great. Maybe movie. it's on the way. Maybe it's on the way. Well, my friend, I thank you for taking this journey to World War uh, to World War II with me, and uh, because you actually have to remember that these great vocal groups that Paul Simon uh, uh, generously gives such credence to uh, all were a result of music that arrived after World War II, along with the new sounds of jazz that artists such as Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie emanated. Um, And there are connections there, and one day we'll get into those bebop and uh, doo-wop connections and how some of these things are... uh, Oh, yeah, I look forward to that. ...are meat from the same bone. As Eric Burden would say. But uh, an extraordinary song, extraordinary groups. And right now we're going to play back to back. Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. 
returned to their hotel suite and they unlocked the door. Easily losing their evening clothes, they danced by the light of the moon to the penguins. The moon glows. The Oreos, the five sevens, the deep forbidden. Their dog after the war. Renee and George and Magritte with their dog after the war. Were strolling down Christopher Street when they stopped in a men's store. With all of the mannequins dressed in the style that brought tears to their immigrant eyes. Just like the penguins, the moon glows, the Oreos, the five satins, the easy stream of laughter flowing through the air. Renee and George and Magritte with their dog I pray like air. Side by side they Decades gliding by like Indians time is cheap When they wake up they will find All their personal belongings have intertwined Whoa, whoa, whoa Renee With their dog after the war We're dining with the power elite And they looked in their bedroom drawer And what do you think they have hidden away In the cabinet cold of their hearts The penguins The moon The Oreos and the five sevens. For now and ever after, as it was before. Renee and George and Magritte with their dog after the war. Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. 
returned to their hotel suite and they unlocked the door easily losing their evening clothes they danced by the light of the moon to the penguins the moon glows the orioles and the five satins the deep forbidden music they'd been longing for Renee and George at Magritte with their dog after the war Renee and George at Magritte with their dog after the war We're strolling down Christopher Street when they stopped in a men's store With all of the mannequins dressed in the style that brought tears to their immigrant eyes Just like the penguins the moon glows the orioles the five satins the easy stream of laughter floating through the air Renee and George at Magritte with their dog at Prenagel Side by side they fell asleep Decades gliding by like Indians Time is cheap Where they bedroom drawer And what do you think they found hidden away in the cabinet cold of their hearts The penguins The moon glows The old For now and ever after As it was before Rene and Georgette Magritte With their dog After the war
A reminder that the second version is the 2018 version, the re-recording from In, a, In the Blue Light. In the Blue Light. Thank you. My Après friend, la guerre. What, après la guerre. Uh, what did, no more be said. No mas. No mas, as Roberto Durant would say. But, <laughs> I, but I mean that in a good way. Yes. Not because I got cramps. Although I do have a backache. I do have a backache that could still... my back. Oy, my back. Oh, I, feel I like, ache in back. I feel like Fred Sanford. Oh. I'm watching reruns of Sanford and Son again. Elizabeth, I'm coming. I can't get away from... I, <laughs> I can't get away from Seinfeld, Sanford and Son, or The Rifleman. I think those will be the three things that will be playing on my deathbed. Right. Along with this song. So if so, you've got one song to go out with. The last song you're ever going to hear. What's the song going to be? Oh, please don't ask me that. <laughs> Why? Please, because it, please don't ask me that. Because it's a. Because it's a. How about Leonard Cohen's "You Want It Darker"? <laughs> I was hineni, thinking, hineni, my lord, hineni. I, I was thinking, I was thinking, "I Love You" by the Volumes. Nice. One, two, three. Look at Mr. Lee. There you go. There you go. Or I'm so young. So young by the students. So young. Do it. Is it so young or too young? uh, So young. So young. So young. (laughs) All right. Everybody, thank you for... Putting up with us. Speaking of which, uh, just a uh, just a little note. Having heard from uh, the family of uh, Ronnie Spector, that uh, everyone is very very grateful for the uh, for the accolades and the warmth that was given. Uh, we put up a couple of uh, of nice tributes on Dig This and. Uh, including a Ronnie Spector retrospective and that was heard and it was appreciated and oh, good. our blessings to the family and to the memory of Ronnie Spector, who when you are thinking about that great, great music, that, that those were the, uh, those were the artists that she grew up with. The ones that Mr. Simon reflects upon. My friend Bill Mesnick, it is always a pleasure. Please tune into Captain Billy's Magic Eight Ball because Bill's got Bill sits around the house. I got to tell you a little something about my friend Bill. He's got eight tracks everywhere. They're everywhere. He cares no longer for housekeeping. He's just got eight tracks. And once in a while, I say, Bill, pick out an eight track, deconstruct it, do, record a little narration, and tell me what you what you think. Well, this has evolved into Captain Billy's Magic Eight Ball. And the success of the Magic 8-Ball is due to Bill's insight, Bill's selections, his 8-track collection, and our ability to play for you the entire album that Bill is referencing in high definition. Yes, we, you know, we, it's the natural evolution, because Stack of 45 handles the 50s and 60s, and um, uh, Captain Billy is firmly rooted in the 70s. Firmly rooted in the 70s. You will hear Steeler's Wheel. You will hear Steely Dan. You'll, you'll, you get all the steel that you can possibly handle. <laughs> You're going to get all the heavy metal, baby. All the heavy metal. 
Except, do you have any Metallica? No. That would be fascinating. But I did have Black Sabbath, which we yes. which we put forth. Yes, and we put the extended version on there. Check, yes. Check, check that out. How did that do? Oh, very, very well. And it sounds great. It actually sounds great. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds fabulous. There was a lot of... Uh, there was, there was a lot of creativity in a lot of those recordings. They were not one of my favorite, uh, not one of my favorite bands. I went to see them once and was not particularly uh, impressed. I was more impressed. No, but as I pointed out in my little spiel, that they had a brilliant idea combining rock music and horror films. Absolutely, absolutely. But so did Alice Cooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But- he made it big too. But I more enjoyed, I remember seeing Motorhead the first time, and then I'm thinking to myself after seeing Lemmy, I'm going, okay, this is how this type of shit is done. This is how you do it. Um, And, of course, we will be back with more episodes of Put on a Stack 45, so we thank you for your support. We thank you for your, uh, we thank you for your time. And, uh, Mr. Mesnick? Yeah. What's the weather like in California today? It's beautiful. You have a beautiful, beautiful. day? It's like 70 degrees. Uh, you got to go out. Got to take a walk. I'm going to take a walk. Take a I'll walk. I'll take my usual. Take a walk. Yesterday we had tornado. Yesterday watches. I sat in the garden and wrote my diary. Oh, Bill. <laughs> Dear diary. <laughs> are, you, are you going? We can turn it into a documentary like the Warhol diary. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think. Well, after I'm dead, it's okay. After, <laughs> I think that was Andy's same idea. I don't think he wanted any of that to be no. uh, to be revealed prior. But uh, I can't imagine there being anything that I would read that you would write that I'd be surprised about. <laughs> you are okay. you you're, you're and you're you are an open book yet an enigma. Mm-hmm. You are. Silently, uh, <laughs> you expose yourself silently. I don't mean that in the nicest way possible. <laughs> All right? The nicest way possible. So speaking about exposure, we hope that we'll get more exposure from you guys, the audience. We thank you, and we will be back again. And as the great Red Skelton said, and may God bless. May God bless. Bye-bye, gang. Stack of 45. Stack of 45.